Thank you for joining us on the Restoration Church Podcast. In this episode, we start our new series called United as we study the book of Ephesians. The text for today is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to church. You guys can have a seat. It's really nice to see you. If you are a first-time guest, if I've never seen your face and there's a couple people that I've got to meet today, I've got to shake some hands. When you walked in the door, hopefully you received a hello card, and if you didn't, we'll get you one. And if you can fill that out and put it on in the giving uh, plate over there, or basket, before you leave, it helps us get to know you. It helps you get to know us because we're going to send you an email that kind of explains the concept of intimacy with God through intimacy with one another, which is our kind of our mantra. And then it also will get you in our announcements email so that you can figure out what's going on. So if you've ever filled out a hello card and you put it in a box and you got no emails from us, go to your junk mail and look for Restoration Church. All right? It might have been stuck in there. Make it non-junk and then you'll start getting all the stuff and you'll know what's going on. This morning, we had the wonderful privilege of running into a marathon. Anybody? Okay, yeah. So I had no idea what was going on. I would have texted you last night and told you that. But if you want to know stuff like that, this morning I, I was driving in with David and we pulled down the street and like 2,000 people ran in front of us. And I was like, I've got to go that way. And, and, then, and then after the runners, there were the walkers. You know, it's like, and I couldn't cut in front of them. I had to get behind the walkers in the police department. So um, if you want to know stuff like that, hey, emergent things have just come up. Uh, some of you got a text message this morning. If you can go to... Uh, your phone and type in 313131 and text the words hello RC, capital H, hello, capital RC, no space, to 313131. That will put you in an emergency text message group, okay? And then if anything happens like that, I will send you an information real quick. So as we're getting close to the winter months and the ice is coming, um, because it doesn't snow in North Carolina, it just ices. When the ice comes and we're like, well, we got to cancel for safety, you'll know about it. It'll come through that text message. If you're on Facebook and you're joining us, this is a new camera just for you. Um, thank you for being a part of what we're doing at Restoration. Check out our website, www.restorationchurch.us, to learn more about us. We are going to start a new series today. Today we, are, we, we finished our remix series of how the gospel remixes every aspect of our life. And now we're going into a, stu- a book of the Bible. We're going to study the book of Ephesians. Okay, so everybody pull out your phones or your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 today. We're going to be digging into that. After church, you're all probably going to go to what? Lunch, right? Anybody going to go to a sandwich shop? Anybody like sandwiches? No? Okay. Does anybody like breakfast for dinner? Wonderful. Okay. Check this out. C.C. Spaulding um, is a school that has an opportunity for us as a church to form a missional community, a group of believers that rally around and adopt a school, right? C.C. Spaulding is part of a fundraiser that's going on Tuesday night with Biscuitville. Okay, Biscuitville for this rare one-time event is doing a fundraiser on Tuesday night from 5 to 8, and they're doing breakfast for dinner. They're never open after 1 o'clock. So if you like Biscuitville and you want a cardiac event shortly thereafter, go have breakfast for dinner. Um, when you go, you can, you can 20% of all the, the proceeds that night are going to these four organizations. C.C. Spalding is one of them. So um, if you got the Restoration Church announcements, you heard about C.C. Spalding, what's going on in them and how we can start to serve them. And then this is a practical way you can just take your family, buy breakfast, have dinner together, and donate 20% of, your, of the cost of your food to the, to the, to the school. So um, Tuesday night, the 18th, is that right? Is it the 18th? Tuesday? I'm not sure. The Biscuitville, the only one doing this is the one on uh, Chapel Hill Boulevard near Foster's. Everybody know where that's at? That's where you go from 5 to 8, eat breakfast for dinner. 
If you're going to go after church today and eat lunch, you're probably going to, I would go to Subway, right? I mean, it's a good place, or uh, Jason's Deli, someplace where they make your sandwich in front of you. Anybody like sandwiches? All right, raise your hand if you don't like sandwiches. Okay, good. There's no immediate need to get anybody in a discipleship group. That's wonderful. Okay, so um, we'll get you there, but you, everybody loves sandwiches. When you walk into Subway and you say, I would like blah, 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 what's the first question they ask you? What kind of bread, right? Because they got 15 times of bread. The, the Italian herb and cheese thing, that's a great bread, or wheat, whatever. But um, you pick your bread, and then you put stuff in the middle, right? And at the end of the day, you have a wonderful sandwich, and you didn't just leave with bread. You had meat in the middle, right? Well, today, as we start studying this Ephesians text, there's these, we got the bread and the meat, okay? The top of the bread and the bottom of the bread are going to be in two phrases that I want you guys to look for, okay? The first phrase is, in him. As we read this text, you're going to see, in him. And the other phrase that's all the stuff is sandwiched in between is, to the praise of his glory, or to the praise of his glorious grace, okay? And so in between those phrases, the, the to the praise of his glorious grace is mentioned three times. In him is mentioned a whole lot more, I think 17 times in the four, four verses. In between these phrases is the meat of the text today. And it's going to teach us something really, really cool, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, read with me. Ephesians 1, uh, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Typical greeting, Paul started a lot of his letters like this. Grace and peace from God to you, the people. Written to Ephesus. Verse 3 through 14. Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure of his goodwill, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. To be in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in a conformity to the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his, wonderful, all right, good deal. So um, what's the significance of all this? Let's let's break it down, give you a little history of what's going on in this book. Paul wrote this letter to Christians. This is primarily two Christians in the city of Ephesus, okay? This is one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote it while he was in jail during his missionary journeys. He was arrested several times, and then he was on his way to Rome, and he was in prison a lot. He wrote Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, all of these are the the prison epistles. He wrote it from jail. Um, It is called by some people the Rolls Royce of the epistles, right? I mean, this is the, the Mac Daddy. One, one commentator called this the purest of distilled Christianity, right? That Ephesians, if you read Ephesians, you get everything you need to know about what it means to walk in Christ, 
right? Ephesians is the purest of distilled Christianity. That means that this book was not just written for the people in Ephesus. It was written for you. It was written for you today. Because the purest of distilled Christianity would be what we want to grab onto, right? And what we want to follow. So this book is written for you today. The major theme of the book is the body of Christ and Christ is head. And as we go through this, this study of Ephesians that we're going to call unity, we're going to learn how Christ unified us with himself, made us a part of the body, and put us under the headship of Christ. The first 14 verses uh, of the book are actually one breath, right? Now, the English translations, we like to put in punctuation. We put in the periods and the commas and the dashes and the colons so that we can break it up. But this is literally Paul so excited by the grace of God, so enamored by the glory of God that he, I know I'm talking with my hands, that's what you're laughing at. Okay, um, so enamored by the glory of God that he takes one huge deep breath and just starts spouting off. Right, So you got to imagine that these 13 through 14 can't be broken up into these little sections. It's one continuous thought about the glory of God and who we are in Christ. So the main character of the story is who? Who's the main character? As we study, the, study a text, we need to find out, is it talking about me or is it talking about him? The, the, word, the words for God, the God has mentioned 34 times in this text. 34 times. In, thir- in 11 verses from 3 to 14, mentioned 34 times. God the Father is referred to 19 times. Jesus is referred to 14 times. And the Holy Spirit is referred to once. So the entire Godhead is in this one breath. Right? So for those who say the Trinity was designed after Christ, no, uh, well, after Christ, uh, like later and later and later in the church doctrine, no. Paul saw Jesus. He believed in the Trinity. He saw Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, all together. So who's the main character? It's God. God's the main character, and we are sub-characters in his story, and the story that Paul's going to tell us in Ephesians. So here's the deal. If we wanted to take this one huge breath that doesn't really translate very well out in English, how would we sum it up? Great question. Thanks for asking. Appreciate that. Um, I did it for you. This is how we're going to sum it up. God planned to position us to the praise of his glory. God planned to position us to his praise, right? So this is, this is what we're going to kind of break down today and learn from. First, God planned. Let's explore that. The sovereign God of all history is moving in time and in space to work out his will. He had a plan from the beginning. Go to verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Listen, the mystery of his will. Why, why does Paul use the word mystery? Because before Christ, what God was doing in history, was it was a mystery. People didn't know what they were doing, what God was doing. They didn't know where it was leading. They, they had this promise of a seed in Genesis 3, right? That there was a seed would rise up and it would crush the head of Satan and Satan would nip its heel, but that Satan would be defeated through the seed. And then they spent all this time in history, in Jewish history and uh, in Hebrew history, looking for the seed. And we, we know that the whole Old Testament is rising up a person and examine them, are you the seed that's going to save us? And then they fall from sin, right? Well, I guess that's not them. And, and you get all the way through the Old Testament, judges, kings, prophets, everybody's looking for the seed, the mystery. What are you doing, God? And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and he is examined as the seed. And he crushes Satan on the cross, and Satan nips more than his heel uh, in, in the, the wounds that he had to take for us. But he is the promised Messiah. He's the seed. So the mystery's over. So for Paul, he's looking post-cross and saying the mystery's over. 
all of history was aiming towards Jesus. And so we can look at Jesus and learn what we need to know, that God's will is being played out through the person of Jesus, that in Christ, all things are coming together. Verse 10, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity into all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You are not sitting in this room today because of an accident, because of a good story. You are sitting in this room today because it is the will of God. He had a plan from the beginning of the world, from before the world was even formed, to bring people out and into him and to display his glory through us. So if you are a believer in this room, you're part of God's story. You're part of God's plan. If you are a person who doesn't know where you stand with Christ today in this room, you're part of God's story and God's plan. You're hearing the gospel today. So know that this is not haphazard. It doesn't just happen. All of human history is being worked out to the conformity of the will and the desire and the pleasure and the plan of God. So God planned all this, and he planned to position us. All right, this is the second part, to position us. Where are we going? We're going in Christ and under Christ. In and under Christ. I love prepositional phrases, right? They always give you good stuff. So whenever we see this sandwich, these bread slices of in him to the praise of his glory, Tells us everything we need to know, right? We're going in Christ. So, in order for God's plan to shape, take place, he had to do something with his fallen creation, right? So, he created us. We were walking in unity with the Father in, in the garden, and then pride came in, the desire to be like God came in, we sinned, all, of the, all that relationship was separated because of sin, because God is holy, and we were not, now not holy and so we were separated from him. And he had this sovereign plan before the foundations of earth to have a cross to rectify this. But we lived in this separation of God. And for him to make his will happen, he had to position us. He had to pull us out of darkness and into light. He had to pull us out of death and give us life. He had to position us. So the first thing he did is he chose us. Verse 4. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. His plan was not just to, to pick out robotic worshipers. His plan was to make us pure, to remove our sin problem. It was to rectify the biggest issue we had, which was our sin, to make us holy and to make us blameless. In verse 7, we see the second thing. He redeemed us by his blood. In order to make us holy, he had to redeem us. Now, it's interesting. There are three words in the Greek that's often used for the word redeemed. Three words. One is to purchase, to go into purchase. So if you go to the marketplace and... A lot of this is in reference to slavery in that time. You go and you would purchase someone, and then you had the choice what you could do. You could either sell them to the highest bidder, so you just purchase them and then make more money off of them, whatever, because, you know, it was not a good system. Um, you, you, could, you could purchase someone, or the second word is you could purchase them out. So you'd go and you'd purchase them and bring them to your home, right? So you'd perk them out of their situation, purchase them out, put them in a new situation. And then the third one, which is the word here for redeemed, is you would purchase them out and then set them free. Right? So this is, what, this is what redemption is by the blood of Christ. It's not just solving our sin problem and bringing us into his family. It's solving the sin problem, bringing us into his family, and then setting us free to worship. Not making us robotic. Not making us um, controlled by some outside force. 
We have the freedom of our will to worship God out of a response to the love and the grace of God now. He redeemed us by the blood. His redeeming, the redeeming power of the blood of Christ washes away our sins and puts us now under the, the view of Christ, right? So lots of songs, lots of hymns that we're, we're washed by the blood of Calvary, that now Christ no longer sees me, but he sees, uh, sorry, God no longer sees me, but he sees Christ in my place, right? We're covered in the purity of Christ. We're in Christ. I'll tell you a little story kind of illustrate this. Um, it was a little boy who made a boat. He, was, he spent all summer making a little wooden boat. And he balanced the keel, and he stitched the sails, and he worked tirelessly to create this beautiful boat. And he put his initials in, in the rudder, right? And he took it out to the local lake, and he, it was a calm day. Nothing's going crazy. He put it in the water, and for a little while he watched it, you know, float around with the current. And he was all excited, and then this big gust of wind came and grabbed the sail and took it off into the middle of the lake. The little boy couldn't swim. He couldn't go after it. There was nobody there to yell for help, and, and the boat just disappeared out of his sight. It was there. And it was gone. He had put so much time and energy and effort and passion into building this boat. And then it was gone. And the boy grew up and, um, and he did other things and he got new skills and he went to school and he was coming home from school one day and he saw in a pawn shop, he looked in the window and there was his boat. His boat was, somebody had found his boat and sold it at the pawn shop. And he walked into the owner and he said, hey, that's my boat. Look, look, this is, this is my ID, this is my name, those are my initials, that's my boat. Where'd you find my boat? And the owner said, it might have been your boat, but it's my boat now. Right? I mean, sorry, you want it, you got to buy it. He said, okay. So he ran home, and he pulled out his shoebox out from under his bed, and he rustled through his, his cash, and he got enough money. He went back, and he bought the boat. And he pulled the boat out of the store, and he looked at it, and he said, you are my boat twice. I bought you, and I made you. I love you. You're my boat. And he went back to the pond, and he put it back in the water. He didn't tie a string to it. He just put it back in the water and he set it free again. And it stayed around, it floated around, it got a little ways and then the wind brought it back and, and he had his boat. But we are God's twice. One, he made us and then he bought us with his own blood. Like he didn't just, oh well, lost them, bummer. No, he went to the cross to purchase us back, to redeem us and then to set us free. Verse five, not only did he set us free, but he adopted us. He predestined us to be adopted into his family, to, to the adoption of sonship. So you got to think about that. You go and you, you get someone, you bring them out, you say, all right, bye, have a good day, you're free. But if you want to be my child or you want to be a part of my family, you can come on in, right? I mean, like, it's a whole nother level of grace to bring us into his family now. So not only did he, he buy us and set us free, then he adopted us as children into the body of Christ. In Christ, we are now children of God. Now, it's interesting, if you look at verses 5 and, and you follow this through, um, <coughs> there's three people, I mean, there's two sets of people that he's talking about. So um, Paul says, we who were the first to hope in Christ, first to put our hope in Christ. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jews. He's talking about the Jews, the Jewish believers that are now Christians, because the gospel came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, right? So he's saying, we who were the first to hope in Christ, have been adopted as children. And then it says, but you also were included. Who's he talking to then? The Gentiles. He's talking to the Gentiles. So we were brought in, but you were included in the grace of God because of the love of God and the redemptive power of God. You who were far off, you were Gentiles, you weren't even supposed to be in the blessing. This is how good and amazing his grace is. You were included also. He brought you in when you believed the gospel, when you heard the gospel. And he said, and just to prove it to you, 
He sealed you. He sealed us. Not only did he purchase us and adopt us, he wanted to make sure that we knew that our freedom could never be taken away. This, this grace, this lavish love, this in Christ can never be broken. So he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. So that, that is the word picture of the wax seal, right? You probably all heard this before. In the time, if you wanted to send a letter to someone, you would write your letter, you fold it over, you pour a little wax on it, and you stamp it. And when you stamped it, it had your insignia on it. And then if anybody broke that seal, it was the evidence that they, just, they messed with your property. It was your property. It's your stuff. Don't touch it. So then you would send it to the person it was addressed to. And they would look at it and they'd say, oh, so this is from Will. they break it open and they know who they're reading from. We know, we saw this in the, in the, the New Testament in Matthew when um, the Pharisees were so concerned that the, the, the disciples were going to steal the body of Jesus. They went to Pilate and they said, would you please just seal the tomb? And so he went and he put, you know, ropes all over and he sealed, he put his stamp, his seal on the tomb and said, this is my tomb, you touch it, anybody breaks the seal, it's at the penalty of death. Don't mess with this. He sealed it. God did the same thing here in the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of this. In order to position us in Christ and under Christ's authority, he had to buy us and then seal us. So our position can never change. Hear me closely. The position you have in faith, in Christ, can never change. Right? So we don't have to keep praying for salvation over and over again. You made the confession of faith. You are, you are chosen. You are redeemed. You are Adopted, and you are sealed instantly. Over. You're done. Your position in Christ will never change. That's important because we're going to come back to it. And then verse 11 through 12, he predestined us to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? He planned, God planned to position us to the praise of his glory. Verse 11. In him you were also chosen, having been predestined to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that... Those who were the first to put his hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. All of this, all of this redeeming, all of this planning, all of this pleasure, all of this will that he's executing in history was not done for you. It was done for him. It was to the praise of his glory. So what does that mean? What is glory? Glory, uh, often in, in the scripture, we see when someone's glory is revealed, it's revealed in what? How do we see glory in the scripture? Light, right? There's this bright light. It was the glory of God shown all around us, the glory. And so we see it in light. But the word glory literally means weight. It's your value. It's your weightiness. How much value you have. So you got to imagine the scales. And then if you put more weight on one side, it increases value, right? So you have more weight. So all of this, all of this stuff, all this redeeming process of Christ, all that he did in Christ and, and to put us under Christ was done to show the weight and the value of the Father. To show us the glory of God. That all of this might be done to the worship, to the praise of His glory. And then one time in here it says, so it's, that's, that's twice it says that. And then the third one it says, to the praise of His glorious grace. So not only do we see the weight and the value of God, we see the weight and the value of the unmerited favor he gave us to the praise of his glorious grace. So he saved us. He brought us out of darkness and into life. He brought us out of death and in, sorry, out of darkness into light, out of death and into life. He brought us out of all that, put us into position in Christ and under Christ's authority to demonstrate his glory, his value. 
And that changes some things. That changes some ways that we look at our life as Christians. It changes how we should approach the disciplines of Christianity. It changes how we should look at whether we're good enough or not good enough, right? What, what do we do with this phrase? He, he planned to position us for his praise, to, to the praise of his glorious grace. What do we do with that? Well, the first thing we got to do is admit that it's hard to live out. This is really hard to live out. Why? Because it's unnatural. Because we still struggle with a flesh side, we still struggle with sin, we have to face the fact that we don't like being in Christ. And we definitely don't like being under His headship. Right? So think about your own life. When you became a believer, I know some people that when they confess their faith in Christ, it came with a but. It's like, God, I love you. I love you so much. You, you saved me. I, I'm giving you my whole life, but you can't touch my sexuality. I love you so much, God, but you can't touch my love of sports. I love you so God, much, God. Oh, God, thank you for saving me, but I'll handle my money. I got this. There was a but, right? And this is the evidence that we don't like being in and under Christ. It's the struggle. The, the, the struggle is we're always going to refer back to our sin pattern. We're always going to go back to what feels comfortable. We're, we're going to try to be better instead of be in Christ. Right? Because whenever, whenever we realize, whenever the Holy Spirit real, shows us how we're wanting to remove ourselves out and out from under the authority of Christ, what do we get? We feel a lot of guilt. Right? Or a lot of fear. Or we panic a little bit. And then what's the first thing that most of us are told to do? Go do something, right? Go read your Bible more. Go pray more. Go serve on a team. Go on a mission trip. Like, you, you've, got, you've got to go do something. We teach ourselves that, and we, we train ourselves to do that, and it's just more evidence that we are more dependent upon our positioning than Christ positioning. We're more dependent on our ability to make God happy and, and to improve ourselves and, and develop this resume of righteousness and, or this debt, this tab that we want God to pick up in the end. It's like, look at all these good things I did. Look at all the Bible studying I did and look at all the prayer. I got up at 4 o'clock every morning and listened for your voice, God. And I went and I did this and, and I did that and I earned my place in you. But Ephesians 3-14 through 14 says, you had nothing to do with your place. You, you heard and you responded in faith, but it was all because of God. God chose. God adopted. God redeemed. In Christ. It was all in Christ. And so that we have to realize that this is really hard. This being in Christ and under Christ. So where do we go from here? What do we do with it? Tulian Chavigian. Tulian Chavigian. I can't even ever say his name properly. But he wrote something, and i got to read it to you. I can't just summarize it. i got to read it to you because you want to hear what, what the answer here. What is the answer to, what are, what's the role of spiritual discipline? Why should we study the scripture if it's not to make ourselves better Christians, right? I mean, like, what is the motivation? Why, why do we pray? Why should we serve? Why should we share the gospel? Why do we live in a way that glorifies God? And then how do we do that? Here's, here's the, what he says. you got to go back to verse 3 you got to go back to verse 3. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ. We in Christ lack nothing that we need to walk in, walk with, love, glorify, or worship God. 
Not because we are matured to that point, but because God has blessed us with every qualification, with every spiritual blessing, with every documentation of adoption, with everything we need in the heavenly places and here on earth to glorify and magnify the Father. We don't need, we don't need to work harder or plan more, but we are free. We are free to walk in and under Him. This is what brings praise to His name and demonstrates His glory and the love of others. Submitting to our new position because of Christ's work, not our own, proclaims the gospel and the majesty of the Father. We no longer need to rely, therefore, on, our, on the position, the prosperity, or the promotions, the preeminence, the power, the praise, or the passionate pleasures. He obviously loves to alliterate. Or the popularity that we've so desperately pursued all our lives. He said, I used to think that growing as a Christian meant that I had to somehow go out and obtain the qualities or the attitudes I was lacking. Anybody? Is that what maturity means? You've got to go out and get the things you're lacking? But verse 3 says you're equipped with every spiritual blessing. Right? So I used to think that. That somehow I had to go out and obtain these things. To really mature, I needed to find a way to get more joy, more patience, more faithfulness, and so on. And then I came to the shattering realization that it isn't what the Bible teaches. And it isn't the gospel. What the Bible teaches is that we mature as we become close, as we come to a greater realization of what we already have in Christ. The gospel, in fact, transform us, transforms us precisely because it's not itself a message about our internal transformation, but about Christ's external substitution. We desperately need an advocate, a mediator, and a friend. But what we need most is a substitute. Someone who has done for us and secured for us what we can never do or secure for ourselves. The hard work of Christian growth, therefore, is to think less of me and my performance and more of Jesus and his performance for me. Ironically, when we focus mostly on our, our need to get better, we actually get worse. We become neurotic and self-absorbed. Preoccupation with my effort over God's effort for me makes me increasingly self-centered and morbidly introspective. You could state it this way. Sanctification is the daily hard work of going back to the reality of our justification. Say that again. The process of becoming more like Christ. Sanctification is the daily hard work of going back to the reality of our justification. Receiving Christ's words, it is finished into a new and deeper part of our being every day into every rebellious region of our unbelief. It's going back to the certainty of our objectively secured pardon in Christ and hitting the refresh button a thousand times a day. As Martin Luther so aptly put it in his lectures on the Romans, to progress is always to begin again. Real spiritual progress, in other words, requires a daily going backward. Real spiritual progress requires a daily going backward. So why do we study scripture? Why do we pray? So that we can come to a deeper understanding of what Christ did for us. Not so that we can improve our knowledge or our resume, but so that we can grasp in a deeper and more intimate way what Christ has already done for us. And then latch on and live in and under our position in Christ. And if you want to glorify God the most... Submit to his authority and live in that position, in and under Christ. Stop rebelling in little parts of your life. 
Stop pulling out little sections that Christ can't have control and submit those to him. Make that confession to your brothers and sisters. I'm struggling with my finances. I'm struggling with sex. I'm struggling with pride. I'm struggling with lying. Whatever your scenario, give that to Christ and put yourself back under submission of Christ because you're already in him. And you have everything you need. You're fully equipped to glorify God apart from however mature you think you need to be. The process of sanctification is the continual going back to the reality of our justification. God planned to position you to the praise of his glory. The question today is, will you live in that position? Or will you try to jockey for a new one? This concludes today's episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about the church or to hear other series, please visit www.restorationchurch.us or see us on Facebook at RestorationDCH.